It, it doesn't matter if it hurts or not. I'm here. I'm here with you guys and here with God, and I'm here in this gorgeous sanctuary that I plan on coming at, at least another 14 years, Pastor. That would give me 100, okay? <laughs> I told you why. I, I'm just going to babble. I told you why I wanted to be 100. The, the next day after I turn 100, I'm going to take my picture and send it to the morning show so my face can be on the Smucker's Jelly jar. <laughs> That's always been my dream. But they say, oh, there, have some jelly. Well, wait a minute. Who is that beautiful, handsome guy? I think that's Harvey Curley from East Point. I think that's his. Okay, uh, I'm, next I'm... <laughs> I'm not coming to take the mic from you because you talked about pulling your pants down. <laughs> but I'm coming so we can pray for you as you tell us. You know, but Harvey, he tells the truth. And if he's hurting, he tells you. If he's mourning, he tells you. If he's celebrating, he tells you. And so... Let's pray for your hip. Thank you. And, and even as you told us about Sandy yes. for as well, there's those seasons where we can kind of see the trajectory, the change is coming. Yes. You know? And so um, would you stand with me? I know that a lot of you love Harvey, so if you um, come near, and he will be offended if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and he wants you to put hands on him because he's that kind of man. And so with that, let's, let's pray. And if you too, we, we believe in a God who even as we pray for the need of Harvey, that God is mysterious, can even meet your need. That's how the residue of God's power works. It spills over to everyone. So it may not be your hip or your mind, but who knows what it is, but we believe that what we pray and as we pray that it's for us all. So, Father, who you're good and you pour out your overwhelming gifts for us, let your love pour over Harvey. Over his mind, body, and specifically his hip, stables his feet. We praise you that you have him and that you call yourself, when we call you, a rock, a foundation to which we can stand upon and fall upon, which we have done both. And you lift us. You have Harvey, and you love him, and you know him. But we do ask for your healing. We ask the same for Sandy, who you know and who you love, because they are yours. And you don't cast any away that are yours. So care for them, Lord. As the needs are rising here and pains are rising here and healing and need of here, let it spill over and spill out of here into neighborhoods, into homes, into across the state and country and world. By your kindness and goodness, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor. I'm gonna, I don't know who's next now. Uh, I can tell you who's next. I don't have my glasses on. Um, Brittany. But first, before Brittany comes up, Bethany, uh, all the kids are now excused to go to um, what I used to call Sunday school. <laughs> I'm not sure what they call it now, but kids have fun. Who's next? Oh, there she is. Uh, I'll meet you halfway, okay? <laughs>
thank you. Thank you, Harvey. Welcome to Genesis. My name is Bethany, and I'm so happy to see you here today. At Genesis, we create spaces for belonging, and this space is an example of that today. Today we join, today we join together and we take communion. If it's your first time taking communion or your thousandth time, you belong. For people on Zoom and Facebook, we are taking communion after the teaching degree, so go ahead and grab your elements so you've got them ready in your house during connection time. Other spaces we belong. New to Genesis, we are getting together tonight at 5 p.m. for food and connection. I need new glasses. <clears throat> and we have the chance to connect to others and hear about what makes Genesis unique and why we do what we do. This is from 5 to 6.30. If you're new to Genesis or you have not attended a newcomer reception, this is for you. All are welcome. Come and grab an invite card from Roy or Deb if you would like to come. Roy, Deb, can you stand up so people can see who you are? Thank you. Eating together next Saturday, Sunday, nope, Sunday, is the first Sunday of the month, so we'll be getting together for lunch. This theme is salad, so bring your favorite salad to share. Fruit salad, taco salad, seven bean salad, jello salad, pasta salad, the ugly gelatin salad in your grandma's 70s cookbook salad, whatever you're feeling, go ahead and bring your salad and we'll share together. Please take a moment to let us know that you are here, either by filling out the digital connection card on our website or the physical green card in the pew in front of you. And if you're new to Genesis and you'd like to get information via text, you can text new to Genesis, all lowercase, no spaces, to 94000. And you can place the physical green card in the wooden box, the wooden box at the back of the sanctuary. And this is also where you can place the offering if you've brought it with you. Thank you to everyone who gives online and through text. We love to put our faith into action, to activate. Our immediate action right now is with the CDC, Central Detroit Christian Community Development Corporation, CDC, a Genesis Compassion Partner, wants to empower people, create positive opportunities for the community, and love their neighbors as themselves. Part of this includes helping the kids get back to school and setting them up for success at the beginning of the school year with a new backpack and new school supplies. Genesis will be collecting new backpacks and school supplies for any child, K through 12, starting July 16th through Sunday, August 13th. We have two ways in which you can donate. You can drop off the backpack in the lobby on Sundays, or you can purchase items off of the Amazon wish list, which will be sent to Alice and Kaniza who will deliver everything to the CDC later. Items on the list range from $4 to $30. And check out the weekly e-blast for the Amazon wish link. Now take a moment and connect and say hi to the people around you.
you're going to need someone to pass this out, or are you okay? Yeah, eventually, absolutely, yes. Just let me know, and I'll come and get this. Oh, I'll just take it with me now, you let me know where I can go. Well, I might have some other people do it, too, if your hip's still bothering you. You know, when I'm, when I'm in a sanctuary... And with this, too, right? What an honor to hand this out. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Let's leave a few up here in case somebody wants to come up and get them. All right, leave but you can, I've got another basket sitting back there by the... Okay. Thanks, Harvey. Well, good morning again. Welcome. So glad that you're here. My name is Bo, one of the pastors here, and today we follow, um, it's called the Revised Common Lectionary. It's a set group of readings and scriptures on a three-year cycle that is really a form of discipleship. So it takes us through the life of Jesus and the seasons of the church. And so today what we have is we have five parables. The readings from Matthew this morning is in Matthew 13. And here are the five parables. Parables were these beautiful teachings of Jesus who was a master of this style of teaching, where it drives to a point. It locks into your memory and you hold on to it. It creates a residue. When you hear a parable, they're supposed to stick with you. They drive conversation. They're never like, oh, that's it, there it is. But they're meant to be handled. And so this is in Matthew 13. So the scriptures will be behind me. You can read along with me as we go. But uh, before I read, let me, just, let's, let me just pray for us. So Father, open our eyes to the beauty of your revelation. Open our eyes to see the jewel, to see the treasure, to see this truth that you say is more valuable. You're the God who discloses, who illuminates, who teaches, because you're good. And so we come as those who want to see. We do not claim to see. And so teach us, Lord, for our good and the good of others, we pray. Amen. Matthew 13, and it's going to begin at 31 to 33 and 44 to 52 this is the reading for today from the gospel and this is jesus who's teaching in matthew and he told them another parable the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field those the smallest of all seeds yet when it grows it's the largest of the garden plants becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. 
When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. And he said to them, yes, that should make us all laugh. <laughs> Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Five parables. I guess we could, we could kind of compartmentalize them in this and say there's three. But in Matthew, Jesus tells seven. Two weeks ago, Bonnie shared with us the parable of the seed that is thrown out. And when it hits the fertile soil, it grows up. Last week, we taught the, the parable of the weeds and the wheat. And then these are the other five. The first two in this were about the kingdom being like this mustard seed that burst into a massive tree and the birds perch in it. And then it's also like dough. Not a small thing of dough. Not something making a few hot cross buns. 60 pounds of it that this woman's mixing and the yeast spreads through it all. So those are the two. They're kind of, they're parallel parables. Maybe about the patience of the kingdom, that it's growing and it's going to spread everywhere. So we have those two. Then we have the next two. These like lost and found decision making one someone's looking for it and the other they're not someone's just walking along they see a treasure and they're like oh my word my lucky day and they bury it and they buy the field they sell all they have and they buy the field the other parable one's looking for it pearls of great value and they find it they sell all they have and they buy it maybe this this, this decision so those are parallel as well and then the final one the net dragging in everything up to there this parable of judgment at the end of the day is what will happen so we have those three so i thought it'd be fun we cannot teach on all five or all three types so i was going to let you choose do you want to hear the first set about you know the kingdom spreading and the patience that it must have the second set about um, the decision and selling all and the reorientation of the kingdom or the third set, judgment. So um, set one. Okay, that's about the, um, I've even forgot the dough, right? Or I don't even remember, the seed and the dough. Set two, which is the, um, you guys know, tre yeah. Set three, judgment. Raise your high judgment, people. Don't be ashamed that you like judgment. A good old-fashioned judgment. All right, truth be told, it looks like judgment is one. Um, that's probably not true, but I've come prepared to teach on judgment. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting. I wanted to see what do you actually want? Like, what are we moved by? And it's interesting to even know that, to put that, put that away. So what's interesting about this final parable, it is the culmination of the seven sets, of the set of seven parables. It's the final one, and Jesus speaks to it. And parables are meant to drive towards a decisive action. And this one's kind of interesting to know, what's the action? I'm not quite sure. I think it's debatable. 
But I want us to sit with this parable today. It is a judgment parable. And it speaks at the end. And about the sorting that happens. So I was thinking about this, and I can't remember if it was Nate who, who reminded me of this, or if Derek, because I was talking about it. It's like, oh, it's kind of like Willy Wonka. Do you remember that scene for any, no, not the new Willy Wonka, that one is like with Johnny Depp, it's weird, or anything. No, old school, super cool Willy Wonka. Um, but the girl's name was um, Veruca Salt. Veruca Salt was her name. She was spoiled. And in this thing, Willy Wonka shares about this goose that lays golden eggs. And yet they've got this meter that takes the golden eggs, and if they put the golden egg on there, it determines if it's good or if it's bad. So it sits on the scale. If it's good, bing, 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 they keep it. And if it's bad, it gets thrown down the chute. And then Veruca Salt sings this song. She's like, Daddy, I need, the, I need that goose. And the father, they're like really wealthy. He's like, how much for it, Wonka? I'll pay for it now. And he's like, no, it's not for sale. And then she goes into this song, and that scene um, ends this way. Don't she was a bad egg. Where'd she go? Where all the other bad eggs go? Down the garbage chute. Oh, the garbage chute. <laughs> where, where did it lead to? To the furnace. <laughs> so. I think they would read this parable. We might have that kind of an idea. There's a scale, good and bad. They drop down the ones in, in the story, the ones that are bad, boom, incinerated. Or maybe you have like the um, Harry Potter, the sorting hat that gets put on and determines where they fit. So let me pause again and let's read this parable again. I'm going to read it in a different version. And then we'll kind of go through it and see. My hope is that this will lead to conversation. My, my part is not to end conversation, but to help to facilitate it among each other and with God. So this is Matthew 13, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was fill, filled, they pulled it up to the beach. And they sat down and they gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and remove the wicked from among the righteous. And they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now again, Jesus asked that question, have you understood these things? They say yes. But if we read anything about the disciples, they rarely got anything. <laughs> they rarely understood. And then Jesus says this beautiful point. Every teacher of the law who's become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like an owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. And I think this is key for us today 
new treasures as well as old being in this parable to help us understand the treasure that is being put before us. But this is a story of judgment, and the first thing that is used is this picture of a dragnet. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that is thrown. I got an image of a dragnet that I brought in just so you can see it. It's kind of weighted at the bottom. It, it's thrown all the way down. A whole bunch of people kind of grab a hold of it, and they pull it into the sea, and it grabs, and it takes hold of everything in its way. I love this word. It's indiscriminate. It does no sorting. It pulls in everything in its path. All of it is being pulled in. It's almost in this sense the parable is saying, all of the world, the net is being thrown over and pulled to the shore. The fishermen are doing this work in an indiscriminate manner. An interesting point of this is that in the parable, the word fish is never in there. So if you read in the New American Standard, so they'll, they'll, they'll kind of show you which words they add into the story in order to give it context. They only assume, they're making the assumption. I mean, it's a dragnet. It's about fish and, and, and human li- and life that's in the ocean or the sea. And so it is. So they, they add in there because they believe there. But, but it's kind of interesting. It could also include all of creation. Anything that's under there, the seaweed and old boots and shipwrecks, all of the created world is pulled to shore. But in this text and in the kingdom, Jesus is making a point, this is what the kingdom is like. In this moment, in this time, before the end of the age, it is indiscriminate. All are being pulled together. All are welcomed. No sorting is happening. It's coming, but not in these moments. There's no one who's standing and judging between the good and the bad in these moments. All is pulled in. I think there's something we could learn in that, or at least a caution where we do see it and we find it repulsive. I mean, there, I mean we take this analogy, there, there's people did I, who, tre- who don't treat um, the kingdom in that way, they, they treat this endeavor of fishing like sport fishing. They've already determined which are the goods and the bads, and, and they create lures of sort in order to go after the trophies instead of, going at, instead of being indiscriminate. And we might not mean that, but we could mean even by socioeconomic, by going after people with resources and income and catering to them and setting up near them and and accommodating to them and not being accommodating to other people. The church historically has not been accommodating to those with disabilities. And so in that, we kind of see this beautiful, in a sense, corrective of the indiscriminateness of this net being pulled in, including everyone and everything. Could it, uh, I've been reading Robert Farrar Kappen. He's Episcopalian priest. Um, I've been loving his book on the parables. 
And so if you're interested in him, you like to read about the parables and of that, I've found a lot of what he wrote in this compelling um, and illuminating as I was reading it. But one of those questions is that, could it be that the entire physical world is drawn into the mystery of the kingdom of God? In John, John 12, Jesus says, if I'm lifted up, and he's talking about it at his crucifixion, the lifting up of Jesus, it is his crucifixion and it will be his resurrection, but if I'm lifted up, I will draw all to myself. An indiscriminate drawing of all, of everything, all people, all material items. The sorting doesn't happen now. It moves through. And so we are not in the judging business. This is what we can learn from this. If the kingdom works like a dragnet, we should aid the temptation to act like sport fishermen. The church is to play our role here and now which is the role of non-judgmental way of doing business. Let's go on. We'll keep going in in that. So we have in this, we have the fishermen. They throw the drag net indiscriminately. They pull all, and they do three things when the net is finally full. They haul it to the beach. They sat down, and they sorted the good into the bucket, and they threw the bad back or threw the bad away. This good and the bad, they gathered, they sorted and so I want to take just a moment here to look at this idea of what these fishermen did because um, Jesus goes on and, and he kind of corrects a little bit. Not corrects, but he has a little bit more detail. But I want to pause here with this language of good and bad. It's like the egg from Willy Wonka. Like, what's the sorting? How interesting. Good and bad. I mean, that's the language we have, but that's not the language they spoke in. So the language they had, the written accounts, is in Greek. And it, it's very specific words. It's always interesting in most languages. But here's the question. Here's my question for you. Do you think there's more words for good or bad? In the English language um, or in the, in, and in the Greek language? I know the answer for the Greek language. What do you think? Is there more <laughs> words for good or bad? Who thinks there's more for good? You're wonderful, optimistic people. <laughs> Guys, be friends with them. You're going to need them. How many think there's more for bad? Yeah, you're the realist. <laughs> Absolutely. There's way more words for bad. And we have to wrestle with that. Is that just because there's just way more? We can, there's a lot of examples, but it's the nature of humanity over and over and up again. There's way much, there's much more language. So what's this language, this, this deciphering, this sort of sorting between these things? How are we to grasp this? Because this story is not meant to drive us to fear. No, that's, not, that's just not the way of Jesus. But what was it for then, and what's this good and the bad? Well, the, good, the good is pretty straightforward. I mean, it, it, is, it is good. The Greek term, which I, I don't know how to pronounce, but kalos, it means good, but, but yet it does have this interesting also part to it. It means good, but there's overtones of beautiful, fine, 
and fair. There's an aesthetic to it that's just not moral. It's not that just moralistic, like there's this right and wrong, but there's an aesthetic of something that's beautiful, fine, and fair, which then brings in a whole bunch of troubling or interesting questions. If there's an aesthetic to good and even to bad, then it's actually not about the fish, but it's the eye of the beholder that's determining where they find it to be good or bad by how they see it. If it's aesthetically useful or beautiful to them, that's the good word with these overtones. The bad, it's um, sapros, it's rotten, putrid, corrupt, worthless, useless. So what's the sorting? Is it about, I mean, this is the question we have to ask in this. Is this, is this sorting that's happening here uh, something that's happened that because there's more desirable fish than from the trash besiege, which was in cultural Judaism, there's a thing called kashrut, which is being clean or unclean. If you go over to Oak Park, it's called kosher. Do you eat kosher? Meaning that there's things that are, are that way, as to eat clean, and certain fish are considered unclean. The bottom feeders, catfish, they're, they're unclean. Certain types of shellfish are unclean. And so some could say, oh, is that the sorting between the clean and the unclean? More than likely, no. But that could be a way somebody could look at it. What is the sorting of it? Because it's not just moralistic, but there's this aestheticness to it. Is it the big or the small that here's the ones that are really marketable and then the small ones that aren't marketable put away? Is it just the ones that are alive or kept, but there's these dead ones and they're thrown away? Kappen goes on, he says, well, in any case, it is not the innate goodness or the badness of the fish themselves, but their acceptability to the fishermen. They're being found good in the eye of the beholder. That's what lands them in the saved bucket. I don't, I don't say that in like the theological term, but just the bucket that they're keeping. So in the first half of this story, it's the fishermen, not the fish, who set the standards for the day of judgment on the beach. And if this is a kingdom, if this is a parable about the kingdom or about the king, who then will set the standard for the last day? The king will. The standards are the standards of the divine fishermen. And knowing the divine fishermen of Jesus, we are not judged by our previous performances. We are judged by Jesus and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. This is how the divine fisherman works, Jesus, his standard. I was, I was here at a funeral, and some of you might know Paul Prokoska. Paul, um, his dad was a longtime member here, and Paul's a pastor in the American Baptist um, denomination and the sanctuary was built in like 1960 sometime it's on the like 67 i believe what it was but he was pointing out some things he said, i overheard the conversation i was like oh this is interesting 
And um, there's three markers in our view as in, in, uh, in this room here. So one of them is the cross that's hanged up there reminding us of Jesus and the death of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. As your eyes descend down, there's that dark wood paneling right there. And for those of you who were here on Easter and saw the baptisms, Sam was baptized there, and Jacqueline's been baptized. Many of you, some of you have been baptized in there, and those doors open up, and there's the baptismal. So in our view is this reminder of going in the waters and stepping into that water and to the experiencing and knowing our salvation and adoption. And the third one was a, there was a table, and we have it in our office, but it's this table, it's the communion table. Those three elements are for us, but reminded of Jesus, who offers us life, forgiveness through his blood. Those are the things we have before us in every story, as in this one. So this story does. There is one. So when we ask that question, in the eyes of the beholder, how are we seen? How does that one view us? Some would say that God views all of the world through the eyes of seeing Jesus and the love of God for everything that has been created. We say in that work of the cross, in those moments, that that original story of creation is that God stands over and looks over everything that God made. He declares these words, it's good. And that the curse has been taken by Jesus. The divine fisherman pronounces an authoritative good over the whole world that he has caught in the net of reconciliation. But Jesus adds more detail as the story goes on. And so Jesus picks this up and he tells the story and the fishermen, they pull it and they're sort of good to bad, but then Jesus steps in and he adds more detail and he says, and so it will be at the end of the age, at the conclusion at the purpose, at the culmination of it all. And for all of us, when we hear this, we're like, oh, goodness, okay. Yeah, this is a different kind of story. This is someone talking about an ending. And so our ears perk up as Jesus takes this language, the completion, the goal, the purpose of pulling everything to the shore. And once everything is pulled to the shore, Jesus adds another interesting detail. It's no longer the fishermen who are doing the work. They were invited in, they fished, they cast, they pulled it to the shore, but at the end of the age, Jesus says, it's the angels who are participating in the sorting. So you have to ask that question. Will you be involved in the sorting? No. And I think for many of us, we think, oh, thank goodness. Now, when Jesus says the angels, 
we have to ask that question, are the angels then kind of like having to make these intricate decisions? Not at all. Angels do one thing, what was commanded for them to do, and they do not deviate from it. That's what angels do. So Jesus, in a way, says, all right, the angels are coming. They'll do the sorting. He brings in this whole new crew, not the fishermen, who are totally and irreversibly committed to doing only and always what he wants done. And so we would say the job of judgment is totally in the hands of Jesus. Angels, they make no decisions. They don't implement any policies of their own. They simply do what they've been directed by him, who is the resurrection and life. So here's this question. On what basis does Jesus direct them to make that separation? Well, the parable says this. On his decision to get the evil ones out in the midst of the righteous ones. Let's get the evil ones out in the midst of the righteous ones. So I've got some questions, and you might as well. The conversation has not ended. So I think maybe the first question is be like, uh, how does one get righteous? <laughs> how does one make it into the righteous bucket? I've listed four questions here that Kaplan has kind of thrown out there. I think they're interesting. How did those righteous ones get to be righteous? And some of you might have an answer. You might like, oh, I, I know how they get to be righteous. I, I know that answer. This is where there's treasures of old and new that are brought in. An old treasure might think that righteousness is acquired by purely your response to things, righteous deeds you've stepped into and there was something beautiful about those truths and right action but jesus is pulling in a new treasure that they weren't familiar with righteousness that was found in him that would be found in his resurrection one gets pulled in how did those righteous ones get to be righteous well, by the free gift of jesus's righteousness the free gift of Jesus' salvation. This would be a way to, to frame it. That's how. Okay. Well, to whom then is this free gift offered? And this is where we get to put our hands on it. What do you think? To whom is this free gift offered? I would say to every human being who's ever lived. God loved it all indiscriminately and offers this free gift of righteousness to everything to save the world. Next question. So does this mean that there's nobody at the last judgment who hasn't been given the righteousness of Christ? Well, yes. All have been offered and given it. Here it is. Here's this righteousness, this salvation. Not through your merit, but through the love of God and the salvation of God. Well, then the next question, well, then how, how is it that some are sorted and seen as evil? Because there is a sorting. Even though that they've been given the righteousness 
they decided that they didn't like it. They decided that they didn't want it. They decided that they didn't need it. They said no to the offer of the free gift of salvation through Jesus. All right, so how do we know that? Well, Jesus told another culminating parable in Matthew 22, where Jesus talked about a banquet, and he made the offer to come to this wedding banquet, and really nobody said yes. <laughs> Everybody was turning them down, and then the master of the house is like, go out and haul everybody in. Go to the byways, go to every corner, go to nook and cranny, go behind the bushes, because you know what people do behind bushes. Right, but go, go everywhere. Go everywhere and indiscriminately, the dragnet, pull them all in here into the celebration. And they all come. Now in Matthew 22, one gets pointed out who's there. And it says this about them, that they weren't wearing the wedding clothes. And this is, this is not like, oh, this is a morality thing. They were unwilling to be clothed for this. And they were cast out. I think these parables of judgment are very similar. That this, this sorting that has taken place there, that they're unwilling to accept the good. That this evil, are those who are determined to, re to reject Jesus' offer and to ignore both their own badness and their rottenness and to welcome them to the party anyway as righteous, they're, they're, they reject this offer. This is this new treasure that they did not know of. That sinners and broken people are transformed and invited into this party, not on their own merit, but by the love of God. And they reject it. They didn't want to be clothed with the goodness and the righteousness and the beauty of Jesus. I'm good on my own. I will earn it on my own. I don't want this. And it says that these will be cast out and thrown into the blazing furnace and with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that was interesting for these two metaphors to talk about this. And again, they should lead us to questions. What, is, what does that look like? Or it, what is that? Like, I don't know. But there seems to be this moment of internal conflict, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, an internal and an external agony. And from the in and the out, will be this conflict. But in the way, Jesus will say, I have no part of this. This party, this celebration for those who have been pulled in will not be interrupted by the few who are unwilling or for however many it is. Again, we are not the sorters. Jesus is. Do we know if it's few or many? We don't know. That's not what we've been told to do. 
In this parable, it was this parable of the indiscriminateness. They will all be pulled to the shore and all will experience that reconciliation, resurrection of Jesus at that shore in which the final culmination will happen and they will be sorted. What will take place there? I do not know. But I know that righteousness and being found right is not all of us being like, oh crap, I need to get my life in order. It's by receiving the free gift, the gift of God, the righteousness of God, uh, knowing that we're his children and saved by him and known by him and welcomed by him, sought by him. This is what the life of Jesus over and over again demonstrates through every story and every action and in this parable. Is Jesus wanting to drive us towards fear? No. It could be the response. And if it is, then you need to enter into the conversation. Do you understand this? And maybe all of our questions should be, no. What don't I understand? Questions do I still have? Ask them. Wrestle with them. Ask the Father. Ask each other. But we can hold on to what we know. The disciples who went before us, who left us bread and breadcrumbs, as Paul, who was a disciple of Jesus, said, I proclaim the death, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is what anchors us. That's where our righteousness is found. This is not a story to drive us to fear. I think it's one that drives us at the beautiful invitation. One, if we see ourselves as the fisher people, those who are casting nets into this world, that we are to do it indiscriminately. And whatever we can to pull all of it with us to those shores. That means we encourage each other as it's today. We stir each other towards good that we continue to tell the good news to each other about God's love and his reconciliation. The good news of God's forgiveness and acceptance into his family. The good news about how God actually sees us, not as bad eggs, but sees us in the same way that the Father saw Jesus when he spoke his love over him at his baptism. You are my child and you bring me joy. I welcome you, and I, I want to be with you. So we have that first part for the way that we indiscriminately share good news, and the second is to be reminded is that we again participate in that way of being clothed by Jesus through the salvation of Jesus. We participate again and again in the gifts of Jesus. And you ask, how do you do that? Well, the scriptures tell us that we do that through communion. That we participate. That we eat of the body and we drink of the blood and it's mysterious. But it's a way of participating and joining. It's a way of remembering what Jesus has done and declaring again and again what Jesus has done for us, 
and over us. He declares, you're forgiven. And where Jesus says, I welcome you and I clothe you. Will you welcome me? And in our eating and drinking, we say, yes, we welcome you. We want you. We need you. Oh, what a joyous celebration it is to know we're included and that God is redeeming and reconciling and longing to the whole world. So as a response today, one of the responses, we want to take communion. And so let's pass these out. Um, let's all partake of these. Can I have somebody once they even said deliver? Jackie, wonderful, thank you so much. Do you want to come up here too? There's a little basket right back there in the back by the, by that. I'll take a handful. We welcome anyone and everyone to take. And so we would say um, the invitation is for us all who have gathered here today. Has everything I said probably lined up to be the most absolute, truly way to see this parable? No. There's tons of way to see it. You could see it differently. So we say that to say this, is not, this doesn't have to be resolved, and it may not be resolved for you. That's okay. Enter the conversation. Enter the dialogue. Take hold of it. Wrestle with it. But do not let fear drive you away. Jonathan, thank you. So as we take this, I want to invite you to stand. And I just want to invite you, as we do take this, that we would, we would pray the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us. The Lord's Prayer is what's commonly been known at, but I love to call it, this is the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And in this prayer, as well in these parables, are treasures of old and new that Jesus gave us to speak over us. Treasures of things that we call God our Father, who is holy and good, meaning we're his children, and he sees us as good. Treasures of God's kingdom that is happening right now, and a willingness for us to say yes to that good, aligning our hearts to that reality. The treasures of God who feeds us and gives us daily bread, like the old treasure of the manna that was given in the wilderness. A God who provided for them as he led them out there and he gave them food to drink and to eat. Treasures of forgiveness that is offered saying, Father, forgive us of our sins. And the treasures of knowing too that the Father answers yes. And the treasure of knowing too that we can let people go and forgive them. We don't have to hang on to that wrecking ball that continues to swing of our anger and our malice towards our brothers and sisters and other people who have hurt us. Treasures of God who protects us from the evil one and the accusations against us from them. Treasures of God that leads us out of temptation, that takes us by the hand and directs us to life, even though our hearts might be pulled and our minds and our wills sometimes towards death. These are treasures, old and new. So let's make this prayer our confession before we eat and drink.
And so I've got the ver- a version of it here behind me. Um, it's, if you know it, and you have a version that you know well, pray it. It's okay. And so we'll turn, but if you would like to read it, let's read this together. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And if you know the extra credit, you can do it. For yours are the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We give you thanks, God, for bread of life that you offer to us. You offer it indiscriminately. You say you are the bread of life. Come and eat, those of you who are hungry. You held up bread with your disciples and you broke it and says, this is my body that is broken. Eat it in remembrance of me. Thank you, God. Let's eat. And Jesus, in the same way, took wine when he was with his friends. He blessed God. Thank you, God, for the fruit of the vine that comes up from the earth. And thank you, God, for the proclamation of forgiveness of sins. You remind us we can participate. You say, drink. This is a new covenant. This is a new treasure of your completeness, of you being good in my sight. It's marked by my sacrifice to bring salvation. Thank you, God. Let's drink. Thank you, God, for your inclusion of us, for clothing us with Jesus. May not one of us, may none of us turn back and say no. May not one of us even speak this word of saying, that's not for me. You don't offer that to me. I'm the outside. Or would say, no, I don't need that. May none of us turn away your gift of love. So we say, thank you, God. And we receive that beautiful gift. May we too offer it wherever we go in word and deed. Amen. Would you go in the peace of Jesus today? Thanks for being with us. Next Sunday, we're going to eat together as a marker of our belonging and creating that space of belonging. It is salad. All things salad. So you can, you can be the iceberg salad, as you heard it, man. It is whatever, you, whatever it is. So bring something to share. There will be enough for everyone, but we'll enjoy the still remaining summer as it's August, and we'll eat together. We'll take communion around the tables down there in our, down in South Hall, but it'll be a great time to be together, and we're going to be teaching through Matthew 14 next week. God bless you.